Well, as I said earlier, this week's Veterans Day. A day we honor those who have served our country. Some lost limbs. Some lost their lives. Those men and women were involved in life-changing events. Some of them, their lives will never be the same until they get home to Jesus. I had a friend who was a medic in Vietnam, a pastor. I remember asking him one time what it was like. He said, it was so bad I can't even talk about it yet today. There's always a price to pay for freedom, isn't there? And as I said earlier, you know, freedom's never free. There's a cost. As I thought about Veterans Day and I thought about the wars and everything like that, I realized that you and I are soldiers too. Paul says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. So Paul was comparing the Christian life to being a soldier with the Lord, of of fighting with the Lord, of being involved in a war. The veterans that are here can tell you what it was like to be the different places they were and to put up with the sacrifices and mud in foxholes and the threat of snipers and those kind of things. Sometimes I think... We forget that we're involved in a war too, as Christians. And it's easy to forget sometimes who the enemy really is. I remember reading one time during one of the civil wars or revolutionary wars, there was two generals who were arguing with each other and calling each other names, about ready to come to blows. And the commanding general came and grabbed them by the shoulder and spun him around and pointed across the field and he said, gentlemen, there's the enemy. We forget who the enemy is, isn't it? Don't we, as Christians? If we're involved in war, there is an enemy. And Paul talks about that in Ephesians, about this enemy. In Ephesians chapter 6, and about being ready and prepared for that battle. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray for me also, that whenever I open my mouth, words will be given me, so I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. In World War II and in Korea and Vietnam, you know, the enemy was people. We knew who they were. Paul says as Christians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There is not an enemy that's a person. The enemy is Satan and his hordes. You got that? That's the enemy. It's not the church down the road or the government, whoever. It is Satan. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against spiritual forces of wicked in the heavenly realms, Paul says. So we're soldiers with, together on the battlefield. Imagine with me, if you will. 
you and I on the battlefield, we're standing there talking, talking about maybe you were in this foxhole and talking about how we might be able to, you know, take the enemy on, that's on the hill on the other side. We're discussing different tactics and so forth. And you can tell the enemy that they're dressed in black, you know, of course they're dressed in black, right? And we're in camouflage green, right? And we're talking about this, trying to figure it all out. And another soldier comes in and drops in a foxhole with us and begins to talk to us. He says, oh man, he says, I really don't think you can take that hill over there. Man, they're entrenched over there. They've got, they've got you know, 90 millimeter guns, you know, you know built into that. They, they've got, you know, machine gun nests that are, that, are, that are in there. I mean, they are really, that's a big gun in it. And they are really, well, the Germans had 88 millimeters in, you know, World War II. So, you know, and they're, they're really getting ready to come at us. And besides that, he says, I, I just don't think we have the, the stamina and the, the determination to do that. I just don't think we can do it. In fact, the guys in the foxhole, they're already talking about how we can surrender. You know, and, because, you know, you're living in mud and mire, and at least you'd be out of the weather, and you, you'd be, you know, you'd maybe get a hot meal once in a while. It'd be better to surrender than, than to stay in this foxhole and not know if you're going to live or die. And, and, and think about the colonel. I mean, the colonel that leads us, he's never out on the battlefield. He's always back there at HQ telling us what to do, but he's not here knowing what's going on. In fact, I heard the guys over in Battalion 4, what they said. They said, they get this hot shot colonel over there. They're a lot better than us. They're going to do better than us anyway. We might as well just give up now. While this discussion's going on, our sergeant walks over. He's standing there, listening to all this conversation. He pulls out his pistol, points it at this guy and says, get out of the foxhole. And carts him off with the POWs we've got back here. And we're going, what's that all about? The sergeant comes back and we say, Sarge, what's that all about? He says, didn't you know? Didn't you look at the guy? Didn't have his uniform on right? The insignias were all wrong? And he spoke with a foreign accent. Didn't you guys catch it? That was the enemy disguised as one of us who snuck in and was trying to demoralize us and get us arguing with each other and get us attacking everybody else rather than the enemy. That's what Paul and Jesus and so many talk about. Jesus talks about this. In Matthew 7, he says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. Hear that? Satan works. He he sounds maybe like us. He's dressed like us. But he says inwardly he's a ravenous wolf. False prophets, people that don't believe like we do, will sneak in and try to sabotage what what God wants to do. Satan is sneaky. But Jesus goes on to say there in Matthew 7, he says, By their fruit you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit and every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. So think about that. Let's look, watch, and see what kind of fruit is that person bearing that claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that claims to be part of the army with us. Are they bearing the fruit that Jesus talks about? Because if they're bringing division among God's people, they just might be an enemy in disguise that snuck over him, snuck over dressed like us, right? The enemy we fight is the devil. It's not the person sitting next to you. It's not the jerk at work. Okay? It's the devil. Be careful of what you get involved in and do. 
Again, in 2 Timothy, Paul says this. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. You know they bring quarrels. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone. Able to teach, not being resentful. Those who oppose him, he should gently instruct. In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. That they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Hear that? We've got captives of war, POWs out there. And if, if they're opposing us, maybe that's who they are. Maybe, maybe they've, they've fallen for the, the lies of the devil. Maybe they've become involved in, in his camp. And Paul says, here's what you do. Don't quarrel. Don't argue. I've learned something in my life. I've been married to this wonderful wife of mine for 42 years. Even though I'm only 39, Larry. Huh? That's right. Before that. And I've learned I'll never argue her over to my side of seeing things. In fact, I've learned in life I'll never argue anybody over to my way of seeing things. Okay? Because when you're busy quarreling and arguing, what you're doing, you're thinking how I can shoot back at them because they're shooting at me. I'm thinking about how I can defend that and, you know, and get over their defenses. We're so busy thinking about how to attack and criticize and whatever else. We're not communicating that's why Paul says, don't quarrel. Don't argue about things. It doesn't work. You notice what he said? Here's kind of how we fight. Listen to that. Be kind to everyone. What? Be kind to everyone? Do not be resentful. Oppose those who come at you gently. You see, the weapons that we fight with It's not a gun. It's not a tank. It's not a piece of artillery. It's not a 108. Keeps getting bigger, doesn't it? It's love. It's grace. It's compassion. It's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what we bear. Love? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. Those things, if we live those out, they are the things that make people stop and think. Those are the things that begin to help people change their lives. You see, but the devil comes in, he starts firing everything at us, attacking, criticizing, judging. And we all, all of a sudden kind of get into that mode and start doing that back and he wins because everybody says look at those Christians all they want to do is attack each other and criticize each other and tell them how they can't be a Christian how they can't be a Christian how this isn't right and that isn't right and the devil wins because the world's like us and saying man those Christians they're just a bunch of jerks I can go to work and do that why do I want to go to church does this make sense So the weapons that we fight with are not the same weapons that the devil uses on us. We fight differently. In fact, Jesus, in his prayer, in John 13, says this, A commandment I give unto you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. You catch that? He says the word love, what, four or five times in two verses? You see, Jesus revealed to us how God's love works. Do you notice that? 
If you look at the life of Christ, I mean, we all got John 3.16 memorized, right? Who, who would stand up? Who would just quote John 3.16 for me? Oh, come on. Some of you. Come on. I know. I know. There's what, 225, 30 eyes on you right now or whatever there is here. I ain't going to do that. Somebody stand up and quote John 3.16 for me. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God so what? Loved. That's the, that's the scripture you, know, you see held up on cards. Everything is love. And maybe, maybe we think, oh, you know, but love just doesn't seem to do that much, does it? Look at the love of Jesus. Look at how he lived his life. There was, uh, there was a guy who came to him as a leper that nobody would get within a 10-foot pole to reach of. Everywhere you go, he'd cry, leper, leper, so everybody get out of his road. When he found out his disease, he was dead to his family, dead to his world. He had nothing. He had to live out, usually in a cave somewhere with a whole bunch of other lepers, and was dependent on somebody bringing them food, or else they died. He smelled bad. Parts of his body started, started rotting off. Jesus came to him, and he touched him. I wonder how long it had been since he'd even been touched by anybody. And healed him. Because he loved him. There was a Samaritan woman who was an ethical outcast of her day. Okay? This was, an, this was an ethnic situation. The Jews hated Samaritans. And the Samaritans hated the Jews. And she came to Jesus. Right? He was waiting for a drink by Jacob's well there in Samaria. And Jesus spoke to her. Which, first of all, a man would never speak to a woman in public, let alone a rabbi to a woman let alone a Jew, to a Samaritan. And in his love, he reached out to her. One of the two places in Scripture Jesus claims to be the Messiah was to this outcast, ethical, unethical woman who had five husbands and was living with a guy now. He did that because he loved her. Hear what I'm saying? A centurion comes to Jesus. The enemy himself. They were, the, they were those who had occupied Israel. They had done terrible things to Israelites. Crucified them by the thousands at times because they didn't like what was going on. Raped their women. Would go into homes and just take whatever they want for food. It didn't matter if the people were starving or not. And the centurion was one of them who would have commanded his hundred soldiers to do that. And this centurion comes to Jesus. And he says, I'm concerned about my servant who's dying. And he shows faith in Jesus. Remember the story? Jesus says, go home. Your servant's well. And he healed him from that very moment, the scripture says. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's how Jesus showed love. It wasn't by criticizing the Samaritan woman because she was living in an immoral relationship and had been divorced five times. It wasn't this enemy who didn't even believe in, in the God of Israel, who'd probably been involved in raping and torturing of his own people. Jesus loved them. He knew he was going to die for them too. 
See, Jesus' lifestyle is all about sacrificial love. He gave of himself. He showed us what it means to love. He says, I love you so much, I will lay down my life for you. Those of you who have used my name in vain, those of you that have spit in my face, those of you that have, that have cursed using my name, those of you who, who swear and make fun of the Bible, criticize my children, those of you that hate my father and blame him for every bad thing in your life, I will die for you. I will give my life for you. I will let them beat me, spit upon me, call me all the names in the book like they call you. I will let them strip me naked, drive nails through my wrists and my feet, and hang me publicly on a cross to shame me because I love you that much. I will shed my blood to satisfy the law of God so that your sins might be forgiven and cleansed. I love you that much. I will die in your place because I love you that much. Hmm. Then he says, this is how everybody will know you're my disciples. If you love everyone that much. That, I believe, is a pretty powerful weapon. That, I believe, is something that the world doesn't know how to handle. That, I believe, is something the world just sits there and shakes their head at either walks away or says, what is it about you weird Christians that love the way you love? You ever notice if you yell at somebody, they'll yell back? If somebody's yelling at you, you want to yell back? You ever, maybe you've never been there. I've been there. Okay? Was somebody standing there and calling you every name in the book and some that aren't even in the book? Okay? And you just smile. So you know... If you really knew me, you know I'm a lot worse than that. But you know something? I really love you. Think what it'll do to them. Why are they going to respond? Huh? I just want you to know, I really love you. I've seen some good things in your life. There's some things I don't agree with, but there's some pretty good things in your life, you know? What's wrong with this guy? How can he say it? I'm just calling him every name in the book. You see what I'm saying? You see what happens? It, it, it takes the power away from them. It, takes their, it neutralizes their weapon. It's like having a bulletproof vest, man, that goes bing, 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 you know? May leave a bruise. It's like, you know? I have the shield of faith I've taken up. It's going to deflect all the fiery darts of the evil one. I don't have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the Word of God, it says, He loves you. So much he died for you. And I'm willing to let go of my ego and my pride and sacrifice those things to let you know that Jesus loves you. You understand what I'm saying? They don't know how to respond to that. That's the battle. That's the war. 
That's something God has given us. When Paul talks about in Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Take, up the, take hold of eternal life with which you are called and you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We think about fighting the good fight of faith. We think that means fighting the system. We think it means fighting the culture. We think it means fighting society or fighting people. But it's not. The biggest fight of faith you're going to fight is in your own heart. It's going to be what's going on in here. Because when somebody calls you names, our first reaction is not to say, boy, do I love you. Our first reaction says, okay, come on. You know? I know judo and jujitsu and you know, all those other Japanese words. Okay? That's the first reaction, isn't it? Or to think, what kind of name can I call them back? That'll really hurt. So the fight happens here. You see, Paul says in that to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. This fight comes because our natural reaction is not love and grace and compassion and kindness and gentleness. And so we find out that what Jesus tells us to do in all this battle is first of all deny yourself. If anyone should come after me, if anyone should be my father, my disciple, if anyone should claim they love me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever seeks to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what shall profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his very soul? Luke 9, 3 to 23 to 25. Those are my life verses. So, deny ourselves means I have to set aside my own ego and pride, and that's hard. That's something you pray about. That's something you find scriptures about to say, God, help me do this. I'm fighting this fight of faith, and I've got to fight it in my heart. Help me, Lord, to win your battle. We pray and work for unity among God's people. You ever think about it, you know, if the enemy could come in and get, you know, the army fight in one battle, and the Marines fight in another battle, the Navy fight in another battle, the Air Force fight in another battle, they'd win. Right? But if we're all united behind, right, the head general, right, the main guy, and, and following where he wants us to go in his kingdom, then things go better. So help us as a, as a community of believers, Lord, to be united together, working for you working to see your kingdom advance. Lord, help us to have that love, that self-giving, self-denying, sacrificial, other-focused, that treats others with gentleness and kindness and compassion. That's, the, that's what the word agape means. We've talked about this many times this year. Help me, Jesus, to live out that love. Help me, Lord, to fight through the obstacles in my life that hold me back. Help me, Lord, with my struggle and the wounds that I get in battle. And you will be wounded. Can I be honest with you? You're in a battle. You get wounded. You get hurt. Part of what a church should be is where we can come and say, man, it was a tough week this week. I need somebody just to pray for me this week. I really had a hard time out there. I need somebody, you know, and we pray for one another. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be a good idea? 
to encourage one another and pray for one another and lift up one another before the Lord, to come around each other and write them a letter the next week and say, man, I want you to know I'm with you, I'm on your side, I prayed for you this week, God's going to help you this week. Wouldn't that encourage you? Isn't that what the army should do? At least the old Lord's army, right? Think about what happened, man. I can get excited about this. You see, in the Lord's army, when we fight the good fight of faith, we decide to open our hearts fully up to God. I'm not keeping anything back anymore, Jesus. This is all yours. Lord, I will humble myself as you humbled yourself. The scripture's full of that word. We kind of read around it. But it means I let go of pride and ego. It means, Lord, I'm going to overcome my prejudices. I'm not going to be prejudiced against the Samaritans or the centurions or the lepers. It means, Lord, that I'm not going to judge and condemn anybody. In fact, I learned that's not my job. I learned, Lord, that if I'm going to follow you, I've got to walk out of my comfort zone. You know, it's kind of risky being a soldier, right? When you guys that were on the battlefield, bolts flying over you, that wasn't very risky, was it? Hunkering down in a foxhole and praying every minute that an enemy sniper wouldn't find you, that you'd live one more day to see your, your wife or your children. You see, I'm part of the Lord's army. That means... I, you know, it's, had, it's okay to be comfortable once in a while, but you've got to leave your comfort zone. It means we choose to give of our time and our talents and our gifts, everything we have to God, to use that the victory might be won because there's people out there dying and going to hell without Jesus. You hear me? It means I'm going to put on the whole armor of God so I can stand against the enemy and be victorious. Let me end with this. Paul writes in Romans 8, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, we not along with him give us graciously all things. Who's going to bring a charge against God's people? It's God who justifies. Who's he that condemns? Jesus Christ died, raised to life. He's at the right hand of God interceding for us. What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? It is written, for your sake we face death all day long and consider like sheep to be slaughtered. No in this, catch this, Romans 8.37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loves us. That's a shouting moment, amen? You are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loves you. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Father, thank you. I pray for all of us, Lord, that are in your army. I pray for us, Lord, as we go out into the, into the battlefield every day. To realize that part of the fight of faith we're fighting is in our own hearts. To die to self, to be humble, to be sacrificial, to live out the love that our culture just does not understand. Lord, help us to be good soldiers in your army.
to represent you and your kingdom well. To use the greatest, the greatest gift and power you've given us, Lord, the gift of love. That's filled with grace and compassion and kindness and gentleness and life. And when we get wounded, Lord, may we be a church and a part of your army, Lord, that can encourage each other and help each other, Lord, to be the medics and nurses and doctors that can help us, Lord, find healing that we can go back out and fight for you again. Thank you, Father. Go with us throughout this week, Lord. For ask, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.